are powerful, that you are, uh, that you are moving on the hearts of men and women. Lord, we pray that this morning that you would awaken us to a new reality where you're taking us, where, where you're sending outward church. Lord, that you would awaken hearts that have maybe uh, lain dormant up until this time. Hearts that have just been church attenders. And Lord, that you would cause them to be people that are truly disciples of you. That every aspect of their heart and their life and their, their will, their mind, their emotions, everything, their sexuality, God would be given to you in a way that says, take me, use me however you will. Lord, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Hey. We made it here. Isn't this awesome? Praise God. Man, man, we've got, we've got some praising to do right now, right here, for what God has done over the last year plus now. We just had our one-year anniversary back in June, June 6th of uh, a year ago. We planted Outward Church in, in Silverton. God has been blessing it amazingly. It is awesome to be out here with you. Uh, my name is Matt Porter, by the way. I'm the lead pastor of Outward Church. I'm actually your <laughs> lead pastor. Maybe you don't know who I am. My, uh, my younger brother, Tim, uh, he's younger. I'm older, right? Uh, so he has actually uh, been out here along with uh, Pastor Brian Bradley. Both of those guys are our, our elders. We've had our, our worship leaders that have been traveling here uh, every week to help make this happen. We have some amazing servants here on site with uh, Jesse Rognes and, and his, his wife, Audrey, and um, uh, Kurt Monty and his wife, and, and uh, the, the Curtises, Nate and Carrie Curtis. Uh, Nate is running sound back there most of the time. His wife was just reading scripture here a moment ago. Like, these are people that are putting in some serious time uh, for, the, for Jesus' church. And, and so that you can come to something and be impassioned with the gospel that you take out into our world. We are so incredibly thankful for what God is doing uh, here in, in Silverton. Listen, this, it isn't all about Silverton. It's also about Salem. Salem uh, lost a bunch of people as they came out here, fantastic servants of God. And so Salem had to bolster that and we had to add more people and people needed to step up and God by his grace has brought people to do that and so I'm I'm so excited about what he's doing both in Salem and in Silverton and what I'm excited about is what God has for us next where is he leading us where is he sending us what's what's he doing here is God's plan for you that you would just come to church? Is that what God wants? Or is God calling you to, to something greater? Is God calling you to a greater passion? Is God calling you to something that would lead you to a place that says, I want to see my life change. I want to go from somebody who's just attending church. I want to be, I want to go towards being somebody who's deeply engaged and being a disciple of Jesus Christ in such a way that my life is transformed. Anybody, anybody excited about that? Woo! Listen, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. It's not about cool venues. But is there a cooler venue in Silverton? I don't know that there is, right? This is amazing. Like, I saw this, a picture of this on Facebook 
before I even knew who owned it or anything like that, I saw a picture of this and I was like, I have got to have church in that building. Like that's, that's, that's amazing. By God's grace, he's, he's led us here. And so here we are. We're, we're in Ephesians. We've been there uh, for the last, I don't know, 30 some odd weeks, maybe more than that at this point. And God is doing something in us. God is working in and through our church. There's three things that I see in this passage. One is the, the peace of God found in Jesus. He himself is our peace. Secondly, there's this hostility that we've got to resolve, that we've got to deal with. And thirdly, there's a mission that God has called us to. There's peace, there's hostility, and then there's, there's this mission. Those are the three aspects of this passage. Would you take a look at it with me and see where the Lord leads us uh, this morning? He says, for he himself is our peace. It's talking about Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ. He is our peace. Why is that important? The, the truth is, Tim talked about this last week here. I talked about it in Salem uh, last week as well. But there's, uh, we don't need to even talk about that our world is disunified. There is no unity. There is no peace. Ukraine, uh, the Middle East, uh, you know, inner city, uh, doesn't matter where it is, downtown Silverton, wherever it is, if there's people there, there is a lack of peace. There is a lack of peace there. This is talking about Jesus as our peace. And it's not just that he just kind of brings some generic peace, like, oh, let's just get along. Let's just, let's just uh, be friends. Let's tolerate one another. No, it's saying this. There's a fundamental problem with humanity. There's a fundamental problem with me. There's a fundamental problem with you. There's a fundamental issue that's happened within us, and that fundamental issue comes down to this, that we are in hostility with one another. That we are in hostility with one another and then also with God. It says right here that Jesus is our peace, for he himself is our peace. How is Jesus our peace and how do we know whether we have it there's an interesting passage in John chapter 14 where this guy named Judas not Iscariot it says uh, asks this question he asks a question and he essentially asks how will a disciples experience of you be different from everyone else's how will or what's the difference between a disciple and a non-disciple and so Jesus begins to kind of answer this question. And he says, well, a disciple's going to love me. A disciple's going to keep my word. Uh, uh, and then he says, the father loves the, the disciple. He's going to come to him. He's going to make a home with him. He's going to hear the father's words. And then he starts talking about the Holy Spirit. He's going to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to teach the disciple. The Holy Spirit's going to remind the disciple of Jesus' words. And then, he, and then he says this, my peace I leave with you, I'm giving you peace. I'm giving you this peace, and it's not a worldly understanding of peace. See, Jesus is our peace. He also gives us peace. He's our, he, is, he is our peace, but he also allows us to experience peace. And what, what's happening with this lack of peace? See, we know all about this worldly war, this worldly hostility, but what we don't necessarily understand is we don't understand 
the lack of peace that we have within us. I just had a major event in, in Salem with our Acts 29 church planting network. Had about 120 people there, and I was hoofing because I had a massive barbecue at my house for them, and then I had a massive conference, and it's, that doesn't seem massive. It was massive to me, but I was working, I was working, I was working, I was working, and then when I got done, I was like, Where's the, what's the next thing I'm supposed to do? What should I do? What should I do? And really, what God was calling me to was rest, but what I couldn't understand is, why can't I stop? It was like I had just smoked crack. You didn't think I was gonna say that, did you? Yeah. It was like I had just used an illicit drug, and I was hooked. I was hooked. And you know what was going on in me? A lack of peace. You know what was happening? A turmoil that keeps me from being present with my family, that keeps me from being present with my kids, because I'm always thinking, instead of what my wife is <laughs> asking me about, what should I be doing right now? Where should I be going? What, what, what's, what's the next thing on my list? What's, what's Jesus inviting me to? Jesus is inviting me, and he's inviting you to a peace that we don't know anything about, a peace that maybe we've never experienced before, a peace that says, Matt, your value, my name's Matt, again, all right, your value, I didn't want you to think I was calling you out, but Matt, your value is not based in whether you're working right now. Your value is not based in what, all right, what's the next thing I gotta do? What's the next thing, what's the next thing, what's the next? My value isn't, I'm not a valuable person because of what I produce. My counselor has been trying to tell me this for so long, and I fired him, but I'm, I'm still, I, I, he had some good things to say. I didn't fire him, I'm still talking to him occasionally, but uh, no, I, he's trying to tell me, Matt, you're not valuable because of what you produce. Jesus is your peace. Jesus is your peace. We are people that consistently find ways to keep ourselves busy, whether it's work like me, I'm a work addict, or whether it's simply just processing the latest thing from across the world that we were never intended to think about and possibly even care about because God is God. He's the one that is in control of all things and I don't have to be in control of peace in the Middle East or war in Ukraine. I, I don't have to care about what's happening in downtown Portland other than, than to say, like, I want the peace of Christ to rule in the hearts of men and women there so that it transforms a society. I want that, I want peace. I want that peace. I want to experience it and I want to reflect it to other people. Now, I just want to ask you, when it says, for he himself is our peace, have you experienced it? Because Jesus says that when you're a true disciple, that there is peace that comes to you as a result of that. And it comes from this. It comes from deep, intentional discipleship. I don't want anybody to raise a hand, but can you honestly say that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ walking with him? Can you honestly say that church isn't just a topping 
for you. I'll add a little bit of that on top of my already busy schedule, my busy life. Can you honestly say that you're engaged with the life of Jesus Christ in a way that is transformative? Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say that when you know that you really got something out of Scripture is, is when you come to this place where you go, oh my gosh, I have never seen that before. Maybe I've read it a thousand times. Maybe I've just never read my Bible and I just don't know. But I've never seen that before. And all of a sudden, there's this realization that comes to you where you just go, I'm not even sure that I was a Christian five minutes ago. I'm not even sure that I was. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, God does things like that in his people on a level that transforms them on the spot and they become people that are just like, I have learned something new. Do you long for that? Do you want that? Do you want anything of the sort to, to say, like, I want something different than what I'm currently experiencing? That's what Outward Church is about. We want to love Jesus and we want our lives to live outwardly as a result. That the love of Jesus compels us, it constrains us, it says in 2 Corinthians. It is something that is driving us toward the mission of God. It's driving us toward the mission of God because we've experienced the peace of Jesus. How is Jesus our peace? He himself, it is his body. That's why we take communion. That's why we'll take communion today. It is in himself that he has absolved us of any sin. It is in himself where he's taken on everything that we've committed against him. He himself is our peace, his presence in our lives. Not just between man and man, but between man and God. God brings peace to us, and it translates into literal, worldly peace. That's what happens. But it's not as the world would give it, it's as Jesus would give it. Look at the second thing with me, the hostility piece. It says this, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. The Apostle Paul is referencing real hostility between people groups. Tim said last week here, he said the Jews had taken God's gift to them of his presence with them, his law with them, his guidance of them, them being his people. They had taken that, and they had taken a good thing that God had given them and turned it into a racial slur and called them the uncircumcision. He, they're looking down on them. It, that, that was their problem. It's real. It's tangible. Lack of peace. It's real, tangible hostility between people. The Apostle Paul is explaining to us how to move towards peace amongst God's people, how to move towards peace between people that we don't even like. And it's, say, it's saying this, that there will come a time, like if you actually know Jesus, 
that liberal and conservative can sit together because they're both submitting their wants, desires, sexuality, uh, desire for money, power, anything. They're both submitting to the same entity, and that is to God himself. They're both submitting to him. He's saying there is a hostility, and that hostility has been broken down. It is this wall that's been between these people who were far off, these people who were, they didn't look like a Christian, they didn't smell like a Christian, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't listen to Christian music, they didn't listen to Caleb, uh, they didn't do any of those things. These people were far off. Can you think about somebody like that for a second? Think about somebody, if you're from Silverton, think about somebody uh, uh, who might live downtown. I've heard that there's a little bit of like the rural and urban folks, there's a little bit of a uh, dissonance there. Like think about the person that you would say, they're never coming to Christ. He's broken down the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. That barrier, that dividing wall of hostility came down to this, the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law itself, it was God's laws that he had given to his people. And he was saying, these are my rules. This is what I'm like. This is my righteousness. This is who I am. And this is, what I, this is how I want you to live. And what Jesus had to do was he had to go to the cross in order to abolish that law. And so he abolishes that law. And he says, this has been broken down. Why is this so hard for us? Why would it be so hard for us to look out for someone else? Why would it be so hard for us to think outside of ourselves? Tim Keller gives this great story. He talks about how there was a, a great ad campaign that said, drive safely, the life you save might be your own. And then he quotes another guy named John Gerstner who says, that's really interesting that it says that. Why didn't it say, drive safely, you might self save someone else's life? Why does it say drive safely because it'll be good for you? Why wouldn't it say it'd be good for other people? Ultimately, it's because of this. We are self-motivated. We think that somehow I'm doing something for other people, but somehow it always comes back to us. It always, if it serves me, then I'll drive safely. If it serves me, then I'll serve other people. If it serves my interests, then I'll vote for this person and maybe help that person at the same time. If it serves me, then I'll, I'll bend over backwards for somebody. Now, many of you might say, like, that's not necessarily true. But I got to tell you, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I mean, the, the, the honest truth is, is that I fight constantly the desire to be seen as a great servant, as somebody who's serving in the local church and great sermon pastor, that, that kind of thing. See, it's not always easy for me to motivate myself toward preaching in a way that, that says, you know what, I, I, I'm, I'm just here to serve you. Ultimately, sometimes it can be serving my ego. Ultimately, it can be serving my, my comfort, my desire for, for something other than Jesus himself. And what is that in me? It's hostility. 
The barrier, the dividing wall of hostility is this. Between man and man, it is self-interest. Tim Keller calls it enlightened self-interest when you say, drive safely, the life you save might be your own. It's enlightened self-interest. See, the peace of Jesus resolves hostility in such a way that says, I no longer have to be about myself. I no longer have to be somebody that's ultimately and finally motivated in the local church for myself. I sent a video out to the church, and I, and I, was, I was just two days ago to invite you to this, and maybe you saw it, maybe you didn't, but I sent this video out. And I was trying to think of, like, what are all the reasons that people should want to come to this? And, I, and then I thought to myself, you know what? Like, I've got to stop leading in such a way that says, I, I just want people to, to come because of some great thing that I'm going to provide to them. I just want people to come and be a part of something because it'll be great for them. The band's going to kill it. The environment's going to be awesome. It is going to be all of those things. But I just, I just want to lead in such a way that says, come to church, not for you, not because we have a great children's ministry, which we do, not because our environments are killer, which they are, not because of any other reason, but just simply because Jesus is himself our peace. And see, when we treat the church like a purveyor of goods and services, when I treat the church body as a purveyor of goods and services for me, for my accolades, that's hostility. That's hostility. And I wonder if God's not calling us to deep, deep discipleship. Not where we've been. This is what I believe about the local church. Our world is changing. It is not cool to be, to be a Christian anymore. The true believers are going to be seen for who they are. And the only way that you're sticking around is deep investment in be, becoming and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Believing this in such a way that, that, that says... My peace is foundational in Jesus Christ alone. And as a result, now I get the opportunity to actually serve others with the gifts and talents, finances, and everything that I have. To, I, have I have the ability because Jesus is my peace. I'm no longer run around by my desire to work, to be busy. I'm no longer pushed around by my desire for comfort. I'm no longer manhandled by my preferences. I'm no longer any of those things. I'm simply propelled by the graciousness and the greatness of God himself in and through Jesus Christ. And he has left peace with me. He has given peace to me. And it's not like the world gives it. Look at what the world is doing. Look at what's happening. 
Look at what, where people are going. They're losing their minds, and we're losing ours with them. God's calling you to not be troubled, to not be afraid, to not be, not be dismayed by the next election. God's calling you out of. God, God called the Gentiles, that is everyone who's non-Jew, and especially Greeks, God's calling them out of Gentileism. And God's calling the Jews out of Judaism. And he's bringing them, to, them together. And he's making one new man. What's God doing? He's creating a community of faith. So that they would operate together in one body. That's what God is doing. He's always doing that. He's always calling people out of deep legalism. He's always call, calling people out of deep worldly-ism. God is always calling people out of the mushy middle of just kind of like American Christianity that's just like I check in and check out. I've done my good deed. I served in this way. I just, I went to church. I try to make it to church occasionally, that kind of thing. God's calling us out of that, and he's saying, no, you are invited into a community. This is so pertinent today. As Salem and Silverton are together, we are one church in two locations, and God has called us together. So what's next? The mission. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near, the Jew. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. What did, what did Jesus do? He comes into the world, and he preaches peace. He's saying the peace of God is available the peace of God is available. It is for you. It is for you. It is for you. It is for you. It is for everyone. He came and preached peace to those who were far off. What's peace? It's the gospel message. It's you can be reconciled to God. It is possible for you who are totally whacked out by all of the political, COVID, masking, whatever it is. It is possible for you to come to a place where you say, Jesus is my peace, not the election. Jesus is my peace, not my work, not my bank account, not anything. Jesus is my peace. Jesus came and preached peace to those who were far off. And he came and preached peace to those who were near. What's that mean? I think it means this. As I just mentioned a moment ago, there are some people in our world, I don't know if we have any of them here, that if, if we were to see them in their everyday life or, or if we were to see their ballot or if we were to see whatever it is that they do, we would say, that person will never come to faith. That person will never experience Jesus. But that's to totally discount our God. Because our God saved you. Our God brought you to himself. Our God chose you. 
in, in the midst of all of your sin and in the midst of all of your shame, our God chose you and he chose me. So how can we discount what God can do in someone else's life? He came and preached peace to those who were far off. He came and preached peace to those who think that they know but don't know. I dare say that I think that that's many of us. Many of us perhaps grew up in the church and we think we know, we know the drill. It, it goes along with our values. I like family values. I like the idea of coming together and acknowledging that there is a God. But God is calling you to something else. The gospel is calling you to all of life transformation, not just what you do on Sunday between 10 and noon. That's not it. That's not it at all. What's God calling you to? Well, let me just tell you that there's this little thing called the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. God has called every single one of us to be about the business of making disciples. What's that mean for you? It means you've got to be a disciple to make disciples. A disciple is somebody who Jesus says right there is, has been taught to observe all that he commanded. A disciple is somebody who has the Holy Spirit in them and who is being, what's being revealed to them is everything that Jesus taught and, it, and, and the Holy Spirit's reminding them, convicting them, convicting me and you and saying that you are loved. You, you are cared about. The God of the universe loves you, lives in you, has made a home in you. A disciple is somebody who lives out of that reality and then goes on to make disciples. See, we're a part of a church planting network, but the truth is we're not about just planting churches. You know what has to happen way before we plant a church? We have to make a lot of disciples. Because as I said, do you know how many people make this thing run? It is a ton of people. It is a ton of people. It's not just me. It's not just Tim, my brother. It's not just Brian Bradley. It's not just the elders. But there are numerous people that have given their lives as disciples who have said, Jesus is my peace. He's killed my hostility, my refusal to engage, my refusal to serve, my refusal to give, my refusal to participate with the one body that he's called. That's what a disciple is. And so, I just want to tell you this. I just want to be straightforward. I can be no other way, so that's all you're getting tonight, or today anyway. Listen, God's doing an amazing work here in Silverton. And there's a trailer that's just parked right out here. And that trailer we bought for I think $7,000. I tried to get the guy down, I walked in and I was like, I'm in a, you know, I'm a, I'm a good negotiator and I'm like, 
ah, what do you take six for this? And, and I, uh, I asked, you know, any wiggle room on this? You know, that kind of thing. That's my first statement. He's like, there's 20 people looking for that trailer. I will sell it in five minutes. So $7,000, huh? Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> we bought a trailer. We packed it full of stuff. And that trailer represents, this is temporary. I don't care if we live out of a, a trailer forever. My wife would be concerned about that. But what it represents is this, is that we're just getting started and the next step is permanency. I don't know if that looks like a leased building, a rented building, anything like that. I dare say I want to leave here. I'm not sure the owners want us here. It'd be like a kid that stays after college for many, many years, as some of you are doing. But uh, uh, sorry to call you out. Um, but God's calling us to more church plants. And if you've received the peace of Jesus here, would you act on that? I know many of you have. Don't hear me be rough or gruff with you. Hear me, hear me in the most gentle way possible. Would you engage? Would you commit? I know it seems like this is temporary but it's only temporary as long as you stay out. As long as you're not engaged, as long as you don't give, and many of you are giving $17,000 on average here in Silverton per month. That's something to praise God for. That's huge. It, it does need to increase if it's going to go to the next level. If this is going to be a church that's just established and we're able to take our efforts and go towards the next church. Our vision for this church is that we have local elders, that we are in community with the elders in Salem. In time, that will happen. It will not happen fast because that's the quickest way to kill a church plant. I know because I almost did it a couple of times. But uh, we will get local elders. We will have our own finances. We will have our own space to meet. And we will have committed local church members that are saying, you know what? God might be calling me to go share the peace of Jesus Christ with another group of people who are far off. But I get to lay down that hostility I, that I have towards the local church, towards my fellow man in choosing not to engage. I get to lay that down because Jesus laid it down for me in his body. And I get to be about the next church plant. Where's that trailer going next? Where's it going? I have no idea. <laughs> I wish I could tell you. But God is going to do something. God is going to do something. And he's going to use you to do it. So here's what I want to ask from you. Whether you're in Salem or you're in Silverton, can I just please, as gently as possible, just ask you this. Would you please engage? If you're not, would you engage? One of the surest ways to do that, and I hate to say it sometimes, is really to begin giving. Because the truth is when you give to something, you care a lot more about it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Would you put your heart here? And can I ask something along with that? Would you try your best, even in the midst of, gosh, man, gas prices are terrible. The economy, 
the inflation is out of control. Maybe you don't have it right now. God, we, we, we help people like you. That's what we're here for. But if you have it, would you begin to give? Would you begin to, to start giving and try to get to 10%? That would be a huge help for us. Do you know how we planted this church? Do you know how that happened? Biden bucks, right? We got money from the government because we're a nonprofit and we have employees, and we took that money and we used about $50,000 to plant this church. Praise God. Biden planted a church. Woo! See, they're doing something good. They just don't know about it. Do you know what has to happen for the next church plant? It just takes money. I hate to tell you that. I was like, ah, 10 grand. We'll buy a little sound system. Some of the, our cabinet maker guy, Jeff Schneider, made these stage pieces. We're getting by on a shoestring budget. No, 50 grand and more. And every month it costs. It's going to take more money to plant more churches. That's what's at stake. Those who are far off are going to get preached to because Jesus preached to you. And you became a disciple. But more than that, not just giving, but serving. And serving wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. Because he is your peace. And your peace isn't found. And having a nice cup of coffee on Sunday morning. And then moseying into church late. After the first song, what in the world's going on here? Like, how can we not get you guys to sit down already? Like, that's the discipleship that has to happen. But there's more to it. There's the community of faith that when you come and you serve, you're welcoming people into the presence of God. You're welcoming them, somebody who doesn't know Jesus, who may not look like you, who walks through these doors or the doors in Salem, and you're able to say, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Want to come to my house for lunch afterwards? I want to tell you about Jesus. Engage, commit, serve, give. I don't have an acronym for you. I'm just saying, would you take the next step? If you're not there and you're just a church attender, you're, you're just investigating Jesus right now, praise God, just come and receive. That's all this is about. But if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, I beg of you, engage with his church because he is your peace. He has killed the hostility between you and him. And he has sent us on mission because he was on mission to us. And he calls us to go and make disciples of all nations. And if I have anything to do with it, we're going to plant churches all over this valley. We're going to plant churches all over the northwest. We're like the, the, church, the, the percentage of church people is like 8%. What the heck? We, there's more churches that are needed. Would you get passionate about that? Ask God to impassion you. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I want to pray right now for those that, that feel like there is something that's missing from their Christianity. There's something that's missed that I, I want to pray for those that maybe are being prompted by 
by your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we, we welcome you into this moment. We welcome you into our hearts. God, Lord, we welcome you into the deep conviction that maybe you're bringing not to feel bad, but to just be empowered that there's more. And so, Lord, we, we, we ask that those people that have, that have that sense of, I no longer want to be a comfortable Christian. I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ that gives everything to him because he gave himself as my peace. Lord, awaken us, awaken those who are just church attenders to become deeply engaged people for your gospel, because of your gospel. Lord, awaken us to the reality of what you've called us to. Not just consumerism, not to come to the church and just experience the band or to experience the environment, but Lord, to to be at your church, to be your church. Lord Jesus, we ask you this. Lord, I pray for those that, that feel like a decision needs to be made and steps need to be taken. That, Lord, that they would tell their community group leader, Lord, that they, would, they might send an email to me, mad at outwardchurch.com, and say, I want to take the next step. That, Lord, that they would make themselves known by joining a group, by, by signing up. And, Lord, it might be as simple as writing a check and just saying, let's see how this works. Jesus, we ask you for this. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you? What, uh, we're going to go to the Lord's table right now. So would you hop up, grab communion, communion, and then I'll walk us through that in just a moment. There's some stations in the back or people in the back with that as well. This is going to take a minute. So just take your time.
pain that he went through. Went and then secondly, together this morning uh, as a church can we worship passionately like we mean it that would be awesome would you stand with me now There is no judgment for 